Good evening. Turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter 11. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word, may you write it upon our hearts. May we hear what you have said, believe it, obey it, and live according to it, trusting you and obeying you in all things. Please bless our understanding and our reading, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Mark 11, um, well, let me just read the passage, uh, beginning at verse 12. If you remember from last time, verse 11, he, uh, Jesus, the triumphal entry, enters Jerusalem at the accolades of the crowds, uh, proclaiming him the Messiah, in effect. And uh, the very first thing that Mark records is that he goes into Jerusalem and into the temple. And uh, it says, when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And then we pick up at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats on those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be, given, it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is God's word. So, Jesus doesn't like fig trees? If you notice, the section begins with the fig trees, and then... The section on Jesus casting out 
those who are selling and changing money. And then we go back to the fig tree. So we have this, they call it the Markin sandwich, right? Uh, we've got the, the bread as the fig tree and another bread slice. And right in the middle is this section on the clearing of the temple. So clearly, the fig tree, what happens to it and what happens in the middle is all related. So, what happens to the fig tree? Kids, what happens to it? Abram. It died, yeah. And why did it die? Because Jesus cursed it. Jesus cursed it, that's right. And why would he do that? What, what, uh, what was he seeking that he didn't find there? Abram. He was looking for figs. Okay. So the, the passage says it was not the season for figs. So as, um, as I am not a fig tree person, I'm trusting the commentaries that I, uh, I read. So the branches are out like this, and the first thing that comes out are these buds swell out of a fig tree. Um, and that eventually becomes the fruit. So these buds come first, and then later the leaves come out from that. And so all through this time period, the, the, the buds come out, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you, get, you find different stages of maturing figs if you see a tree and leaf. There, are a time, there is a time when you see no leaves, it's just the buds. So if you see a fig tree in leaf, what would you expect to find? Felix. Figs. Figs. Exactly right. Good job. Yeah. So Jesus looks and sees this fig tree in leaf, and goes up and tries to find some figs. And yet, there's lots of leaves, but no figs, not a fig. And what does he do? He curses it. That's right. He curses it. Then we leave the scene. We leave the scene, and we go into the temple. Now, the temple. Anyone know how big the temple was? Okay. Where was the temple built? What's that? The altar was in the temple, that's right. Yeah. Well, the temple was built on the Temple Mount, and Herod's temple was the most impressive, perhaps, of the temples in size, at least. Um, it was roughly a rectangle, 525 yards by 325 yards. And all around the outside, was a double colonnade 
of columns, and these columns were huge. Three men holding hands could fit around one, okay? So big, big columns, double row of columns. You can imagine them all along, all the way around the outside. And then on the inside was another complex, like this. And there were different gates, areas that you could enter. This um, area was the court of the women. Um, you had the Holy of Holies itself back here. And um, let's see, court of the women. And then you had this area where only circumcised male Jews could go, and then only the priests could go here. Well, guess where the Gentiles could go? Abram. just in this very outside area. Good guess, okay? Just in this very outside area. So, all this area, there, in fact, there is a wall dividing this area that basically said any Gentile crossing here is gonna get killed. Um, so, it was, a, it was a large area, but it was the only area in which Gentiles were allowed to go. Anyone who was a worshiper of God, but not formally joined to Israel, could only go in this area. So, guess where the livestock was kept? The stalls were set up for the exchanging and the buying of the sacrificial animals. All this whole area was given over to the trade, okay? The covered area. So, if you wanted to go and worship the Lord, which is what God had said that Israel would be, would be a place where people would see um, how God interacted with his people and people would be drawn in to come and see the true and living God, and this Gentile comes to worship, and what does he find? Nice, quiet place. Abram? <laughs> A nice, quiet place to kneel down, to pray, to meditate, to maybe ask some Jews walking by, what, what's this all about? No. Noise. You guys ever been to an auction barn? Sheep? Cows, money changers, shouting out. Imagine the caller. And 25, 25, 30, 30, 30, 40, 45, over here, yeah. Okay? This is not a place of worship. Jesus comes in to the midst of this, and he's absolutely angry. What does he do? He drives out the animals overturns the tables with money changers, 
scatters the pigeons, and he doesn't let anyone bring anything in to this area again. And he quotes two passages of Scripture. First, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, which that is from Isaiah. Find my notes here. Isaiah 56, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 56, I'm going to read uh, 3 through 7. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house of within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, for all the nations. And then he also quotes Jeremiah. Jeremiah, that uh, den of robbers. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 3 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And the idea is that the Lord wouldn't destroy his own temple, because it's his temple. How would anything, any harm come to this? This is a safe place. God's made this a, a safe place to be. No nation will ever come and do this. And so this kind of saying, this is the temple of the Lord. Why would he come destroy this? Jeremiah says, do not trust that. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely? Make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by by my name, become robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So, Jesus quotes those two different passages and connects it directly with 
what is happening in the temple in his day. So what was happening? Were they worshiping Baal there, as Jeremiah talked about? What, what were they doing that was so wrong? Why would the priests make this area? Uh, why would they designate that the area that uh, the sheep and lambs were to be sold? It was, it was big business. When uh, Herod dedicated the temple, some 225,000 animals were slaughtered that Passover in AD 66. 225,000. We're talking massive amounts of animals. So what was so wrong? Why is Jesus angry and driving them out? Ben. <laughs> well, I think when Jesus says you cannot worship both God and money, mm. so if they were putting that much attention to money, the implication would be they're not actually worshiping God and the Yeah. Yeah, the, the very fact of this place being a place of worship for the nations, Israel had forgotten particularly the leadership, had forgotten the reason this temple existed was the worship of the Lord. They had made it commercial. Is it wrong to have commerce? Yeah, Dad? I think it's really similar to Luther objecting to selling indulgences. They were selling the opportunity to sacrifice to pray to the Lord here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to, to, to turn the worship of God into strictly commerce has forgotten the main thing. And to exclude the Gentiles, which the Gentiles were not particularly loved by the Israelites, by the Jews of Jesus' day. Um, indicated most clearly that they had forgotten the purpose of the temple. Did you have something? Um, it says he, he identified it as a den of robbers, which implies it wasn't just commerce, it was maybe Yeah. Yeah, the, the exploitation, you know, if you have one place where you can bring your animals and if you're coming from a long ways away, the sheep could get damaged along the way and you're probably going to pay a pretty price for that sheep. Um, and the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leadership, was definitely profiting off of. Um, and, and again, this is not a, a strict condemnation of profit, but to use the Lord thing, Lord's things to the exclusion of what is the temple's purpose, which is the worship and adoration and service to the Lord, clearly indicates where your heart is. Was this an Absolutely. Almost anywhere in Jerusalem, it looked like now that is a place where God is. Did it look like that? Yeah. I, I've even heard that that, that pinnacle, the, the highest point that uh, is referred to as, was even covered in like gold leaf. 
So it was like shimmering from all over. You could see it miles away. Lots of leaves. But is there any fruit? No, there isn't any fruit. Not the fruit like God is looking for. Yeah, Nate. This is especially interesting if you think about it in the context of what had happened in Israel's history. So about a century and a half before the life of Christ, uh, the Seleucids were in control. They were, they were uh, ruling over Israel and, and lots of other land as well and uh, desecrated the temple. There was mm. just a lot of just Hellenistic influence being mixed in with, with uh, Israelite culture. And so a group of rebels, the Maccabees, basically were a ragtag guerrilla group that were uh, taking pot shots when where they could, and they were able to drive the Seleucids out for a little while. And uh, they, one of the things they did was they ritually cleansed the temple. And so when Jesus, this, this figure who's amassed this massive following by this point in Jerusalem, there might, there might have been a slightly different set of expectations as to what he's going to do. Yeah. So the whole notion of Jesus coming as a military conqueror, he pretty flatly squashes that. He goes in, <laughs> and he doesn't do anything about the Romans. Instead, yeah. he says the rock runs much deeper. Yeah. Interestingly, um, song, Psalms of Solomon, which is not our Psalms, but there was a book uh, that the Jewish people had, and uh, one of the Psalms specifically calls um, that the Messiah is going to come in and he's going to drive out the Gentiles from Israel and drive them out of the temple. Well, what does Jesus do? He comes into the temple and drives out the money changers so that the Gentiles can come in and worship the Lord. Again, exactly the opposite of what... Um, so this running theme of the kingdom of God, again, I mean, of course, through our 21st century eyes, we, we know what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the kingdom of God, but this would have made it crystal clear to yeah. everyone in Jerusalem what he was talking about and what he wasn't talking about especially. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, and uh, this is the first confrontation. You, you see, look at, uh, look at Mark again. You see, um, it says that Jesus fig tree, and the disciples heard it, and then look down at verse 18. Heard it. Same exact Greek word. Disciples heard it. You're the figs withered at its roots. Scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers, they hear it, and we don't know what happens yet, but it's coming. Okay. Um, it wasn't the season for figs, so what, what has your research? Yeah, I, I, there's different phrases, so it's not that ripe, full fruit, but you would have expected if it's going to bear fruit, if you see leaves, you would expect to find fruit in different stages of maturity, so it's not like the final stage. I guess. Um, I don't have a great answer on that, but um, Jesus expected to find some figs on the tree. But he, it's not like uh, he's vindictive, like, oh, that nasty fig tree and get rid of it. The fig tree was a very great symbol of Israel itself. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, a picture of Israel itself. And Yeah, he, he doesn't expect to find it apparently in the temple either. Um, but 
Yeah. I think it's a picture of a temple of the temple. It's almost saying like if we even saw some buds, like I'm not even if you don't have full fruit of righteousness, if there or fruit of the Holy Spirit, if there's even just a bud, yeah, like something like a promise that maybe there would be good to come out of this, and yet there's yeah. not even that in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. To what I think you see Israel doing. Um, is exactly what the church does again and again. We're always so tempted to do. Yes, Jesse. I was just going to say the marketplace around the temple probably looked pretty impressive as far as activity. Yeah. Visual. Yeah. The quick question I had is did, um, did it prescribe the Gentiles when they went that far for Moses? Yeah, so that was, you know, that, that wall being there was not necessarily wrong. Um, but Gentiles could come and worship the living God. They were just had that one area to worship. They, they could go further in and be in the court of the men if they were, became full circumcised Jewish converts. Um, correct. Correct. Yes, yeah. um, Yes, Austin. Like sure. The sacrifices are mandated for one, and then if you're not bringing it, then when you get there, it's to find sure. a place not necessarily in the so Where do you put that marketplace? Outside the city. Well, in the city, they can buy their land, doves, but to put it specifically in the court of the Gentiles is desecrating God's house. Yeah. And like Ruth was saying, every time you go to a tourist attraction nowadays, the gift shop closest to it is the worst prices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, there are, are costs associated with keeping animals and to, to make this, again, this isn't a uh, condemnation of capitalism um, per se, but the whole focus on this world and what I can get out of it is completely surrounding what the Jewish leadership is doing. And Church Law also does the exact same thing. What can I get out of of this life right now. How much money can I make? How much fame can I get? How much? Again, it's, it's, a, it's the air in America. And uh, all too easy to fall into. So, they pass by the fig tree again and they see it withered from the roots. And the disciples say, look, look what happened to the fig tree. And Jesus answers them. And he says three things, three things that we're looking for in fruit. What is the kind of fruit that God is looking for? You see those three things there? What's the first thing? Verse 22. What's that? Faith in God. Have faith in God. Find my notes. Um, have faith in God. What does he say that faith will produce if you have faith in God? The disciples are marveled. He curses the fig tree, they go by it, and the fig tree is withered at its roots. And Jesus said, This is a small thing. Have faith in God, and what happened? Answer your prayers. You can say to this mountain, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. 
um, a reference to the Temple Mount being destroyed. Um, but what is faith? Faith is looking away from yourself and your power and the ability of things that you can do and looking to one who can. Right? All this commercialism, all this gathering the things of yourself is looking to your own self and looking to this world here and now. God has promised us some mighty things that we cannot do. Have faith in God. Okay? What's the second thing that uh, he calls us to do? Prayer. 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 And also, what is prayer? What is prayer? An act of faith. An act of faith. Again, it's calling, it's having the relationship with the one who can give what you cannot get yourself and asking him to do what he said. Faith in God looks at his word and says, what what is God missed that I do not have? What has not come to pass? And ask him for it. Ask him for it. Do we see our churches full to the brim? Not yet. We don't see the, wa- the, the earth covered as the waters cover the sea, full of people worshiping the Lord. Do we ask him for it? Is that something we can affect? We should. We should. Prayer. Looking away from yourself and asking the one who can give. And finally, what's the last thing he calls us to do? Forgive. To forgive. Huh, interesting. Not what you would have expected, I think. Calls us to forgive. And what is the reason for that? So your Father will forgive you. So your Father will forgive you. We must forgive, for if we know our own great need of forgiveness and how much we have been forgiven, which the whole temple system, what was the, what was the sacrificial system for? You go to the temple, you put your hands on that animal, a symbol of your sins being transferred to that animal, and then watching that animal get slaughtered. Your sins are on that animal, and that animal deserves to be killed. You deserve to be killed for your sins. If you know the forgiveness that you have received mercy when you did not deserve it, how much more when someone sins against you should you forgive also? And you all know the parable, right? If you do not forgive your brother your sins, you will not be forgiven either. So it's a great example of our truly knowing God, how much we have been delivered from our sins is only shown in how we forgive others the wrongs we have been committed against us. So, temple, pretty grand. Pretty impressive, but all leaves. What is the fruit that God is looking for? 
looking for faith. Faith in a God who can do what we cannot do. Prayer. Talking to this God. Loving this God. Asking Him as our Father to give us what we do not have. And forgiving. Forgiving our brothers whom God also has loved. That is the kind of fruit God is looking for. It may not look very impressive. The world's not going to flock to it, see it afar off, gleaming in the distance. But it is the fruit that lasts and that God loves and that his own son so most perfectly displayed in himself as he's hanging on the cross for our sins. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's pray. Lord, we get distracted by this world. We admit it. We are no different from your people in Jesus' day. Lord, may we feel and know what you truly want. Hearts that are soft, that are ready to ask for forgiveness from you and to forgive others pray to you to seek in your word what you have said and to ask you for it, to love you, to give our very selves all the way to the end, to trust and obey. Please do this work in us, Lord, we ask, and may, Lord, uh, it be a light, salvation to the world when they see how we love one another. May you be honored and glorified, and may they come to know you as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.